Masechet Megillah Daf Chaf Dalid. A wonderful set of issues today, all about reading the, the Torah. We begin with the Mishnah HaKoreh BaTorah Lo Yivchot Mishelosha Pesukim VeLo Yikra LeMeturgeman Yoter MiPasuk Echad. When one reads Torah, each Aliyah has to be at least three Pesukim, and when uh, you have a Meturgeman translating, you have the Baal Koreh should read one Pasuk. And then the Meturgeman will translate one Pasuk into Aramaic, one, 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 and not a whole paragraph altogether. And that's true for Torah, because otherwise the translator will get mixed up. Oh, which Pasuk are you up to? And he might, uh, and the people listening won't know what exactly what is translating. So for Torah, which is the most important, because it, it, first of all, it's the most, it's the highest level of Nebuah, also it contains laws. So we want to make sure people are getting, you know, like uh, uh, back to back the Hebrew and the Aramaic. And they know exactly what they said clearly, even though it takes a little bit more time. But when one is reading the Haftarah in the Navi, and you also have a Meturgeman, because people also still want an explanation and a translation into Aramaic, which they know. In that case, you can read three Pesukim at a time, three in Hebrew, and then read three in Aramaic. And that'll go a little faster. And if you miss, you know, was this from that Pasuk or whatever, if you miss a detail in a story or something, it's not as urgent as in a Torah law. If in the Navi, you have three Pesukim that are each their own paragraph. They have a paragraph break, a Petucha or a Situma between each. So they're very short paragraphs. Uh, so that one Pasuk is a paragraph and the next Pasuk is another paragraph. Then you should only read one at a time. One and translate one, translate. You shouldn't clump together multiple paragraphs. One may skip when you're reading Haftarah. If you're reading one, one Perek and then you want to skip to a few Perekim later, that's permitted, but not in Torah. In Torah, you have to start wherever you're starting from. You got to start there and go continuously. No skipping in Torah. Regarding Navi, that's what we're assuming this means. This goes back to the Navi question. <clears throat> How much can you skip? Um, they used to have scrolls of Navi. So they have a book of Yeshaya. It's quite long. If you're all the way in uh, Perek Aleph, can you skip all the way to, to Perek uh, Samech? No. All, you can only skip as long as you can roll while the translator is still translating. So how long does that take? You read one pasuk, he translates. It takes uh, a few seconds for him to translate. So you can roll while he's translating. In that few seconds, you could roll a few chapters, um, but we don't want Torah Sibod. We don't want the people to have to sit there and wait while people are rolling. And uh, therefore, you can you can skip in Navi, but only to a close place. But so far, it sounds like in Torah, you cannot skip at all. I know there are some times when we do skip in Torah, and the Gemara will explain. Gemara. How can we read at least three Pesukim? Uh, Ravasi said uh, to correspond to Torah Nevi'im and Ketuvim. Even when we're reading three Pesukim of Torah, we want to have three so that it represents all the other uh, sections of Tanakh as well. Uh, we saw this before and we saw yet other explanations in addition to this one. All that is a quote from the Mishnah, so you can read only one, uh, uh, one, uh, one and one regarding Torah, but you can read three at a time in Navi and have him translate, unless, unless it's three different paragraphs. Where do we see that? Here's an example. In Yeshaya 52, 3, 4, and 5, 
They're one pasuk each, and each one is a separate paragraph. So, kegon, kicho amad Hashem, chinam nimkartem. And then the next one, kicho amad Hashem, elokim misraim, yarad, ami, barishona, and vata, mali, ponu Hashem. So, the person would read each one and translate each one separately. Now we have a challenge. Here's an example of where we read Torah and yet we skip. This is a Mishnah in Masechet Jomah. This is the Kohen Gadol. We'd read Aharemot. That's, the, that's what we read till today from Shemot chapter 16. And then he would skip to Vayikra chapter 23. Uh, Parashat Emor, where it has all the all the holidays, and he would skip to Ach Basar, which is about Yom Kippur, and so he's skipping. You see here uh, seven chapters. So what what is going on? He's he is skipping in the same. He only has one Torah in front of him uh, that he's reading from. So how is that allowed? Abaya answers and says, no, when he says you're not allowed to skip in Torah, that's only skipping as much as, as time, time it takes to translate. Um, but if you're skipping within the time it takes for him to translate, then that's okay, even in Torah. That's so in this case, it's only seven chapters. And when you're scrolling, you know, well, it only takes like uh, three, four seconds, uh, a few, a few scrolls, and the Turgiman is still uh, translating the last pasuk. So therefore it's okay. We're going to challenge Abaya from the simple language of our Mishnah. We saw in our Mishnah, it sounds like here that you cannot skip at all in the Torah. And then when it says, regarding Navi, how much can you skip? You can only skip in Navi as much time as it takes for the translator to finish. And that sounds like for Torah, you cannot skip at all. Not even one, not even one uh, uh, paragraph, not even one sentence. So that answer doesn't make sense. And there could be Abaye is, is splitting up, is, uh, is explaining the Mishnah differently, that that line, Ad is going on Torah also. And uh, on, specifically regarding Torah, you cannot skip if it's within that time, uh, if it's outside the time period, but you can within. And that would mean for Navi, you can skip even more, even if you have to make people wait. So maybe Abaye was uh, interpreting a Mishnah somewhere like that, but it's not the simple reading of the Mishnah. And therefore, the Gemara is going to re, um, retry his answer. Oh, uh, here's the difference. Depends on if it's one matter. So when the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur is reading uh, from Acharemot and Achbe'asor, both of those sections are about Yom Kippur. In that case, you can skip from one to the other because it's it's not jar. It's prob- the problem is besides the time for rolling is it could be jarring for the people. You're talking about one 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 subject and you're skipping to a totally different subject matter. Why? Where did you get there? Right? You want it to be to flow. Well, if it's the same subject matter and it happens to be in two different places in the chumash, so yes, then that's okay. Um, whereas when it says you could, should not, that's our mishnah Masechet Megillah, and it says in Torah you can't skip at all. That's only if it's two different um, uh, two different areas of, of, of um, uh, two different topics. This would explain why on fast days we skip um, uh, when we say uh, right? We, we do skip uh, ahead of page, but it's all in the same story. It's all within the same story of Cheta Egel and Moshe asking for forgiveness there. So you see that would fit into this criteria. Now, and indeed, this is a proof, not a question. We have a that that supports 
this we're not just making up uh, 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 interpretations on our own. Medalegin Regarding Torah, you can skip as long as it's one topic to the same topic. Whereas in Navi, you can skip even from one topic to a different topic. And that line in the Mishnah that says it has to be within the time that the translator will finish, that's referring to both Torah and Navi. Right? Because that equally, we don't want people with the congregation to have to wait. So that applies all the time. And uh, But Navi is a little more lenient and they can go from one topic to another. Torah, you can only skip if it's the same topic. And that's what we do. Tanya Idach, um, and there's another Braita that just adds one more qualification. You cannot skip from one prophet to another. You can't skip from uh, Yeshaya and go to Yirmiyah. Yes, if you're going to skip, it has to be only two places within the same book. However, when it comes to Tre Asad, even though it's they are 12 separate prophets and they're technically 12 separate books, um, but because they're so small and they would just get lost if you only had them like that. So uh, the, the sages um, put them all together as subunits within one book and called it all Tre Asad. And so therefore, because it's all bound together as one book, so we treat it as one book and you can even skip from one place to another within Tereh Asar. As long as you don't go from the end of the book back to the beginning. And the problem with that might be, is two, could be two different problems. One is that you're going backwards. If you're skipping, you should always skip forwards and not go backwards because, you know, uh, um, that could be confusing, especially if it's in chronological order, although some of the Nivim are not in chronological order. Um, but also, it all sounds like a second problem is that you're going from the extreme end all the way to the beginning, and that would take uh, too long. Uh, so it does have to be close by, and it sounds like it also, also should be in order. <clears throat> Okay, these are great, very practical rules, and now you can pay attention to because there are sometimes when we have a when we read a navi and we do uh, skip to uh, an, another section um, in the haftarah. Next, hamaftir banavi hu pores al shema. Whoever gets the aliyah for maftir and he reads the haftarah, he we give him an extra honor that he will also be the shaliach sibur for saying kiriat shema. We describe what Pures al Shema means, a couple of interpretations. We'll just say simply, it means he'll be the one to be Chazan for, for Kirat Shema. And he also will be the Baal, the Shaliyah Sibur for the Amidah, which is even a higher, uh, a higher uh, honor. Now, although these things happen in Shacharit, and, um, and he's, this guy's reading Maftir, uh, so how does he know it's going to be that? It means the person who we know is going to read Maftir either that day or he's the regular. Haftarah reader, so he should also be the shaliach sibur for shacharit. Uh, he should be a for shacharit for shema, or and or for musaf. That will he can say the amidah for musaf. <clears throat> and so a lot of times we 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 do that. And he also will say Birkat Kohanim. Now, this is strange because if he's a Kohen, he's not a Kohen, he can't do Birkat Kohanim. If he is a Kohen, then all Kohanim do Birkat Kohanim anyway. So what does it mean that we're giving him a special honor uh, because he read Haftarah, which is a, a, lower, a lower reading than the, compared to Torah. So we want to give him extra honor and we say, you can, you can do Birkat Kohanim. Everybody's doing Birkat Kohanim. So it must mean that we maybe he'll be the leader of Birkat Kohanim. Uh, you, know, you have a lot of people and he'll, you know, he'll kind of go in front and lead the pace. 
uh, perhaps something like that. Others say it's talking about a case of a uh, of a Beth Knesset as all Kohanim. Everybody is in the Beth Knesset is Kohen. Sometimes you could almost have this in a Syrian synagogue. Um, then, in that case, some of the people will give the beracha, and some people will stay stand on the on the, in the back and say amen. And so this person, he gets the honor of always giving the beracha and not having to sit it out. Okay. If the person who read the Haftarah was a child, and the child is certainly allowed to read the Haftarah, this is a, a common practice today, um, even for those who say a Katan shouldn't, shouldn't read a regular aliyah, they read it, they read the they read the maftir. Now he now we want to give him an extra honor because he read the haftarah. Uh, so what is he going to be shaliyah sibur? But he's a katan, he can't be shaliyah sibur. So we uh, transfer the honor to the child's father or to his teacher, and they will be the they will be the shaliyah sibur in his place. Katan koreba torah umetargem. A child is allowed to read in the Torah. We said we said that already in the we quoted the Tosefta. Here it is in the Mishnah. Umetargem. Uh, he can also be the translator. That's fine. However, a child cannot uh, be the shaliach sibur for Shema or for the Amida because he's not obligated on the same level as everyone else. So he cannot fulfill their obligation. And he also would not say Birkat Kohanim. Now, nowadays, a child who is a Kohen uh, will go up and say Birkat Kohanim. But if he's the only it's the only Kohen, right? He's there by himself. His father isn't there. Then he would not to be. Now he would not to Birkat Kohanim. The only reason why we allow it is because there are is an adult or more adults saying Birkat Kohanim. So then we allow the child to join in so that he learns how to do it. Um, and then he'll be used to it. Um, but he can't be, he can't be the only one um, that's blessing the congregation. Someone who is uh, either, his limbs are expo- exposed, meaning he's wearing shorts, or probably more likely he's wearing tattered clothing. And uh, so you can see uh, some of his uh, skin that's usually uh, covered up. Uh, so that's not respectful. Um, however, even that person can be the be the shaliach sibur for Shema, and he can also be the translator because those are lesser important jobs. But he cannot read the Torah, and he also cannot be the shaliach sibur for the Amida. That's a more important, higher level job representing the community, and he has to look more respectful. Also will not, uh, may not um, do Birkat Kohanim. Okay, this is very relevant today. Uh, in the summer, sometimes people like to come to Bet Knesset in shorts. Um, even if they do, they should not get any of these shoes. They should not be a chazan. Soma pores et shema umetargem. A blind person uh, can be the Baal Kore, can, can be the Shaliach Sibur, for Kriyat Shema, he can also do the translating. Uh, in fact, the translating would uh, would have to be done by heart because he's not. You shouldn't be reading it. Only the Baal Kodeh reads because he's that's Mikra and the Metargem. He would he would he would read it by heart. So that's fine. If he's blind, he knows Shema by heart. That's no problem. Yehuda disagrees. He's more stringent and said if he never if he was blind from his whole life from birth. And that means he never saw light in his life. Then he cannot be the chazan for berkot kiriat shema because one of the berachot is yoser or Hashem. Thank you for creating light. 
but he never experienced light in his life. So how can he bless Hashem for experiencing light? All right, this is uh, be like, uh, you know, saying, but uh, it's for an apple and someone else eats. Uh, if I'm not eating, especially if I don't even know what, it, what it's like. So how can I how can I praise Hashem for something that uh, the blind person does not know, doesn't even know what it is? So the Das says, no, he cannot. OK, we're going to see a lot of interesting discussions about each of these points. We begin my ta'ama. Why does a person who gets that, who, who reads the haftarah, why does he get other honors that we should make him the shaliyah sibur also? Two reasons. It's because of honor. Uh, this uh, person is going to feel like, um, hey, I didn't get a, I didn't get a real aliyah to read from the Torah. I only read the haftarah. It's true. Even the maftir reads a little bit of the Torah, but that's only to give honor to the Torah. But you know, we don't, we don't really need him for, for Torah. And so we want to give him some uh, a, a different honor. And so we give him the uh, we give him the to be shaliach sibur instead. That's reason number one. Others is that he will they will come to quarrel. How, why why will it come to quarrel? Well, because you uh, often the shaliach sibur, the one who read Kiryat Shema, was paid. He was a, a paid paid chazan, and this guy who reads the haftarah was generally not paid. So then the person reading the Haftarah will be like, hey, I had to prepare more than him, right? I have to go and remember if they're reading from a scroll, they actually had to prepare and, uh, you know, know all the, know how to read it properly uh, without Tamim and Nikudot. And so he says, how can I got, I read and I didn't get paid. And this Chazan, he read Shema and he gets paid. That's not fair. So you know what we do? We say, okay, you, the, whoever is Baftir will be Chazan also. And that way they'll get paid for being Chazan. And then they won't have any resentment about the Chazan because he is the Chazan too. So we get paid for one and he reads the Haftarah too. And then nobody will feel bad. Nobody will fight. Okay, those are the two reasons. Now we say, my Benayu what will be a practical case where there'll be a difference between them. In a case where the chazan reads for free, that the chazan does not does not get paid, or where this guy, even if were he chazan, would not get paid. In that case, he wouldn't care that uh, he doesn't that that he's doing it for free, because the chazan in any case is doing it for free. Or even if he were doing it, he would do it for free. So he's not going to be he's not going to quarrel. He's not going to resent anybody else. So in that case, this reason would not apply. However, if it's talking about honor, and he says says, hey, how come uh, everybody else gets to read the Torah? I only get Haftarah. I only have to get, uh, get a Navi. Oh, what do you think? Am I lower that you chose me for that? So then they would feel bad. And that, that would apply even if the Chazan was, uh, was not paid. And so that would apply no matter what. It's interesting because nowadays the Maftir is considered one of the best uh, Aliyah to get, to get. Right? We, we save it for someone who is uh, important. Um, and, and I guess that's because uh, we added so many uh, uh, so many perks and honors to the person who says haftarah. So it went from being the one that was the lowest to now being it worked. What the rabbis did, it worked, and now it's uh, considered a, a nice honor to get the to get the haftarah. Usually, we give it to someone who's learned, who actually knows how to read it um, uh, on their own. Okay, good. Tenan im hayakatan. <laughs> we have a challenge now to this to this opinion of uh, Rabbi Barshimi that says because of quarreling. As Imayakatan Aviv Orabo Ovrim Al Yado. 
is if we're from the Mishnah that says if a child reads the Maftir, then the, his father or his teacher, since he can't be the Chazan, his father or a teacher will be the, uh, the Shaliyah Sibur. Okay, now, and if you say this is the reason because they will come to fight and say, oh, how come he got paid and I didn't get paid? Is a child going to be going to quarrel? A kid doesn't know what's going on. He's not, he's not paying attention to who's getting paid, who's not getting paid, and I should get paid and he didn't, right? So a kid's not going to go start up with the chazan and says, hey, I did a, I also read, how come you got paid and I didn't? Kids, kid's not going to do that. So it doesn't make sense because you have to explain this clause in the Mishnah too. So we counter that and we say, so what do you, what do you want to say? It's because of honor, right? What should the papa's answer? Does a katan care about his honor? Right? You think a, 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 a child is happy to get any role at all? Oh, they gave me haftarah. He read, you know, for the first time. And he can be you know, almost like, like, like an adult and do a, do a nice job. So he's happy to do that. He's not going to go to the other adults who got Kohen, Levi, Israel and say, hey, how come you got an aliyah and I didn't get, I didn't get a fake aliyah? So a child is not, doesn't care about honor either. So this clause, in any case, does not apply to a child in either reason. So how does it apply? So rather, and if you say it's honor, so it's not the child who's gonna, whose honor is going to be hurt, but rather his father or his teacher. The father will say, how come everybody else got an aliyah and now my child only gets a haftarah? So hey, what, if I, what, what kind of dishonor is that? Okay, so you be chazan and that way, you won't be, uh, you won't feel bad. So same thing. So to regard regarding quarreling, right? The kid is not going to care who's getting paid or not, but the father will say, how come he got paid? My son did the same thing. So I should get paid too. So you know what? We'll let the father uh, be the chazan and that way the father will get paid for that and won't feel bad. Okay, I was actually learning this with my 10-year-old uh, earlier and he was laughing. He thought it was funny that it's the fathers and, and the teachers who uh who cause all the trouble and fighting and, uh, you know, and, and honor and demand honor. And the kids are happy-go-lucky. All right. Now, someone who's uh, wearing shorts, not fully clothed, uh, cannot be, uh, can say Shema uh, and read and translate to Aramaic. Okay, but someone who's wearing shorts, an adult who's wearing shorts, cannot be a chazan for Amidah and cannot read in the Torah. Now, the question to Abaye is, what about a child who's, let's say, wearing shorts? Uh, can he be the, can he get an aliyah and read, and read the Torah? Uh, why would you say yes? You know, a lot, in a lot of uh, uh, traditional cultures, uh, children wear shorts or knickers. And then only when they uh, when they grow up, then they wear pants. So since like you know it's normal uh, for kids to wear um, less clothes, so they're not it's not uh, such an affront. You might think that's you know that or is it the same? That's his question. This is why you're asking about someone who's wearing tattered clothing or shorts. Why don't you ask about someone who's naked? It's like a silly question, right? Obviously, no one would let that. I mean, you know, sometimes little children run around naked. We think it's funny, but we wouldn't let them give get an honor and uh, and read the Torah. I mean, totally disrespectful. So uh, to the disrespectful to the Torah, disrespectful to the to the congregation. So we wouldn't allow that in a child. It's the same thing here. If the child is not properly, nicely dressed, um, then they should not. 
uh, do and eat things that even the things that they're allowed to do, like reading in the Torah. So therefore, a child also should not be wearing shorts and should be dressed, dressed nicely if he's going to take part in the tefillah. Okay, soma pores al shema. A blind person, um, according to Tanakama, is allowed to be the chazan and say yosed or and uh, shema. Uh, actually, it's specifically yosed or is pores al shema. So for sure, he's saying that barachav yosed or. Tanya, amru lola de biuda. Biuda said, no, if he never saw in his life, if he saw one you used to see and now he became blind later, he can still say it because he knows what light is. But if he was never never saw, then he cannot say it according to the biuda. So the rabbis who say it's allowed, they tell the biuda, We have a challenge. There's a lot of people that gave explanations and expounded and gave classes and lectures about Maaseh Merkava. Maaseh Merkava is the the, uh, the 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 prophecy of Yechezkel. He sees God on the throne with all the the angels around him and the chariots and you know this uh, the great uh, deep and uh, mysterious description of all the of all the angels and the, the heavenly realm. And now so many people never saw it. Only Yechezkel saw it. He's a Navi, but he describes it. And yet we don't have any problem with later uh, rabbis uh, explaining it. So it means they can under, you can understand something even if you can't see it, right? We read a description and we use our imagination and we study the words and you can understand something even though you never saw it yourself. So same thing here, even though the blind person, even if he never saw light in his life, you can describe to him what seeing is and they'll have some idea of what it means. And therefore he should be able to say, or also, um, I was wondering, do, do blind people dream? Do they see in their dreams? They do dream. Do they see in their dreams? And as the, the, uh, the uh, uh, research is not conclusive, they do have rapid eye movement, which sounds like they are looking at something, but their rapid eye movement is slower than, uh, than a sighted person. So uh, we're, we're not quite sure. Maybe some do and some don't. Okay, anyway, um, uh, the point is that um, uh, even a blind person can have uh, uh, understand what sight is, so should be able to say it. So he'll answer. Now, regarding the Maaseh uh, Merkava, that has to do with an understanding of the heart. By heart, they mean mind. Um, that's what it depends on. And, uh, and they can concentrate on the words and understand, okay, this is, this is what it means. So yes, anyone, even if you didn't see Maaseh Merkava, can understand what it is. I mean, it's mysterious, but you can, you know, you can get get some understanding. But this beracha, I mean, this could be machloket. What is the nature of the beracha of Yosef Or? This, if it's like a birkata nehenin, um, for, for those who derive benefit. So the blind person, even if he can understand what seeing is like, he does not actually derive benefit himself from it. And therefore, he cannot say the beracha, right? I can know what an apple tastes like, but if I'm not eating an apple, I can't say for you that, that, that because you're eating it. Uh, still, according to this, you'd have to say that someone who once could see, he did derive benefit, even if it was five years ago, and he's not deriving benefit, maybe he's blind now, he's not deriving benefit now. Since he did at some point derive benefit, he could say it. But someone who never derived benefit cannot, even if he can understand it, so that's the Biudai saying this is not uh, not so much a berkata shevach, but more of a berkata nehenin. Okay, Aveda banan. Now, what would they say to that? They say, in fact, you know what? Even a blind person benefits from light. 
How so? This is my whole my whole life. I was always bothered by this pasuk at the end of Devarim in the blessings and curses. It says if uh, if people if the people don't follow the Torah, they will be they will uh, grope in the in the middle of the day, and they will be like a bl- like a blind person gropes. In the, in, in the middle of darkness. And so there's a terrible uh, curse that uh, people are going to be groping around, have no idea where they are, what's going on. But the strange thing is to compare it to a blind person in darkness. A blind person is just as, uh, just as blind if there's light or there's dark, where it doesn't matter to them. It's not any worse the fact that it's dark. In fact, you could say the opposite. If anyone's been to the blind museum, right, and uh, where everything is switched and the sighted people can't figure out where anything is and what it is, and we're totally bumping into everything, and it's the blind people that are used to it and know how to navigate. So, you know, it should be the opposite. So why? what would be the extra curse of you'll be like a blind person in darkness? What does the blind person care if it's dark or light? But one time the following story, the following story happened to me, and then I understood it. One time I was walking in the middle of the night, it was dark out, and I saw a blind person. The proper pronunciation of blind person is not suma, but soma. The cholam. Uh, that's in all the best manuscripts, and that's the grammatically correct pronunciation. Um, and he was walking with a torch in his hand. So Rebiose asked the blind person, this is my son, why, why are you carrying a torch? You're blind, it's not helping you. says, it is helping me because when I hold the torch, people can see me and they can see around me. And then if they see that I'm about to uh, walk into a pit or thorns or thistles, they will save me and say, no, no, go this way. So my holding a torch helps other people see so that they can benefit me. So yes, holding a torch does benefit me. And that is the, the rabbi's answer to the Yehuda. And to be Yehuda, even a blind person, not only can he imagine what seeing is like, a blind person actually benefits from there being light because, because there's light, other people around him who are sighted can see and can do all kinds of things to help the blind person. So yes, it's perfectly appropriate for a blind person also to say, or Okay, very interesting, really fascinating discussion. And now we get to the next Mishnah. Kohen, sheyesh piyadab mumin, lo yisa et kapava. Kohen, who has a, a blemish, uh, some kind of deformity uh, in his hands, cannot uh, recite birkat kohanim. Uh, because people are going to look at his hands and they're going to be distracted. This is, what, what is that? Does he have, uh, you know, extra finger? His finger all crooked? What, what is going on there? And will be distracted from bir, saying Birkat Kohanim. Uh, it seems apparent that they did not cover their hands back then, uh, like we do today, where we the old Kohanim cover their hands with the talit, so you won't be able to see anything. And the commentaries do say that this would not apply uh, nowadays, when you can't see their their hands anyway. Okay, Th- this sounds a little bit not PC. Uh, you know, I'm uh, the uh, the priest for a Disabilities Act is gonna is gonna come and say, how could you say such a thing? Um, and I guess I guess in some way it's not it's uh, it's not so uh, kind to someone with a uh, deformity to say they can't do birkat kohanim. But I think we're gonna see in the following discussion that uh, even if in their uh, in their 
uh, language, they say things like this. I, I'm, I'm, my guess, my best guess would be that there was a lot more tolerance in practice in olden days than there is today for uh, people with, with, with disabilities, because uh, I think it was just a lot, lot more common. I know my son uh, uh, broke his toe last year and he had surgery and put a pin in it, so make keep it straight. I asked the surgeon, you know, what they do in the olden days? In the olden days, probably, you know, half the people had uh, crooked toes and crooked limbs and all kinds of things. So you know, I think it was just a lot more common. People were used to it and probably were, were um, a lot more tolerant than, than uh, we, we, we think we are. Question? Yeah, I'm curious. I thought the reason that the, the, the disability is a problem is because the Kohen could not serve in the Beit HaMikdash if they had a disability, and that's that's right. Okay, why. good. So that, that, is an, that is another one. That is another uh, explanation for this. Um, but the most common, the most common is, that, is that people will look at him. Others say it's not respectful uh, to the congregation for the foreman to bless them. So the, the disability here is a little bit different than the qualifications for serving in the Beit HaMikdash, although you're right, that is, uh, it is definitely related. But these seem to be something specific to what people can see, as, as you'll see in the Gemara. It's only if it's a visible disability. Um, on his hands, feet, so we'll, we'll see. But that, that is a good point that, and we can go back to the Torah and think about why, uh, the reason that the Torah says that. Okay, Rabbi Yudah af mi shehayu yadav sibu'in satim, satis, lo yisat kapav, sakilin bo, also someone who was, uh, whose hands were colored with some kind of dye, a blue dye, indigo or something, um, uh, is also, people will look and say, what, why is his hands blue? What's going on there? And even though, even though that might not, might not be a technical disability, uh, a mum rather that regarding the Beit Hamikdash, but see, it's all about uh, people seeing it and being um, being uh, distracted and confused as the main thing. Okay, the blemishes that we care about regarding Bekat Kohanim is only in the person's face hands or feet, they would uh, go barefoot too. Um, and so that's, the, in other words, the exposed parts that people will see. You know, if he had uh, something on, the, on, the, on his leg or abdomen, so that for this case, for this purposes wouldn't matter. A person's hands were spotted, uh, it had like uh, uh, different color blotches on them. He cannot do it. Uh, Baraita says the same thing. Akumot akushot lo yisa et panav. And similarly, if his uh, hands or his, uh, his fingers were curved or bent uh, sideways or backwards, also would not be able to do berkat kohanim. And I imagine just from either from birth defects and injuries along life, uh, uh, that was these were a lot probably a lot more common. I'm sure they were a lot more common than they are today. Amarav asi. Now, this is other blemishes, but not physical deformities, but rather speech, in, speech impediments. Chefani, uh, someone from the city of Haifa, someone from the city of Bet She'an, these are both in the north, in the Galilee. Lo Yisad Kapav cannot say Berkat Kohanim, because in the Galilee, they do not, and especially in these cities, they did not distinguish between Aleph and Ayin. And so, therefore, they're going to go and say "Berkat uh, Kohanim" instead of "Ya'ed Hashem Panav." Hashem should give you light. They're going to say "Ya'ed Hashem Panav," which would mean Hashem should pour out His face. Uh, sounds like an anger, and then they'll, they'll turn a blessing into a curse. And so, since they can't pronounce Hebrew pr properly, 
they should not do Birkat Kohanim, which is a, a great uh, warning to everyone uh, today who's speaking Hebrew to, to distinguish their Alephs and their Ayins. And they not only can they not do Birkat Kohanim, they cannot be Chazanim. Um, because in, in, it sounds like in the South, they did pronounce Hebrew uh, well. And in the North, which they were more mixed up with uh, Greek-speaking uh, people. So in Greek, you don't have gutturals. And so they forgot how to say their gutturals and they mix them all up and then they mispronounce everything. So therefore they cannot be chazanim. Uh, although it means, uh, you know, that certainly cannot be chazanim in a plate, in a bit where they do pronounce correctly. But what if you're in, the city, in that city over there? It sounds like if that's how everybody speaks and you know, no one pronounces it correctly, or at least they all understand each other. Uh, so that would have to be allowed. <clears throat> okay. Okay. <laughs> This is Bishimon, the son of Rabbi Udanasi, is an important person. And he says, so he's from the, he would be uh, uh, from the lineage of Yehuda. Um, but he says, if you were a Levi, you would be Pasul from going on the stage and, and singing in the Bet Mikdash as a Levi because your voice is very thick, right? You have a you have a uh, your, your voice sounds like a like a like a low drone. You have a terrible voice, and uh, you and you can't hold a tune, and therefore you would be pasul from being a levi. Okay, uh, just uh, really insulted him, but don't worry. The Bishimon Barabi has a comeback, and it says Ata Amar le le Abu. It says, "Come here, I'm gonna I'm gonna go go go. Uh, I'm gonna say this to uh, your father, um, and say to him." Um, yeah, he says, so he went, he told his father, he told his father, Biudanasi, uh, what Rabbi Chiyah said. So Rabbi Udanasi said, go back and say to him, He says, when you get to the Pasuk that says, I will wait for Hashem. It's beautiful Pasuk in Yeshaya. I'm going to wait and trust in Hashem. You are going to be a blasphemer. Why? Because Rabbi Chiyah, he shouldn't be throwing stones because he himself did not distinguish between het and he. Um, and so therefore, when you get to this word, he read it as vihikiti, and I hit, and, you know, Hashem. And so instead of saying, I wait for and hope for Hashem, he says something that is quite blasphemous. And so tell him that back and say, oh, you're one to talk. You, you know, you're complaining about my voice. You can't, you don't even know how to pronounce Hebrew. Uh, so, okay, that's a good, good, good comeback. Ravuna. Uh, Someone whose uh, eyes are always runny. Another, another uh, interpretation is someone who drools, cannot, cannot uh, do Birkat uh, Kohanim. Um, uh, again, it's not technically a blemish, but people are going to be like, you know, what's, uh, be distracted by this. Wait, there was someone that had this, had this problem, uh, this condition in the neighborhood of Rabuna, and he did Birkat Kohanim all the time. Nobody said anything about it. No, he was familiar in this town. Everybody knew that guy. That guy, he, he, he has a drool. So we got used to it already. And so no one even pays attention to it. You don't even notice it anymore. 
נתניהו מהאחי, זה בלגן, לא יישא את כפיו, ואם היה דש בעירו מותר, ובברייתא זה says, someone with such a condition should not say ברכת כהנים, if he's a new person, and you know, he's just coming to town, but if you know him already, uh, then he's, uh, he will not cause any distraction. אמר רבי יוחנן, סומה באחת מעיניו, לא יישא את כפיו. So also someone who is blind in one eye um, should not do Birkat Kohanim because people are going to look at him and say, what does he have one eye? What's wrong with him? What happened? Right? And uh, both uh, <laughs> curiosity and, uh, um, and concern. Uh, so they're going to be thinking about that. So he cannot do that. Wait a second. There was a person with one eye. Imagine those days they didn't have they didn't have glass eyes, so a uh, person would uh, you know would would really not look uh, uh, very good, and so they would say uh, so there was a person in this person in this town he had only one eye and yet uh, he did bitkat kanim no the answer is ahu dash hava no everybody was used to him they knew him well it's like uh, um, Moshe Dayan you know maybe the first time you meet him it's like oh why does he have a patch what happened to him. Right, but then now everybody knows Moshe Dayan. When you you see a picture of him, right, I mean, you expect him to have an eye patch. So then it's not surprising, and it doesn't uh, cause any uh, any any concern or distraction. We have a Baraita that says the very same thing that uh, someone with uh, who is blind in one eye should not be, do bekat konim unless people were um, were, were familiar with him. רבי יהודה אומר, מי שהיו ידיו סיבות לא יישא את כפיו, person with uh, uh, die on his hands, um, sounds like it's hard, it's hard to get off, maybe he, he's a dyer, he'd always have blue hands. תנא, אם רוב אנשי העיר מלאכתם בכך מותר. ברייתא says, if most of the people in the city uh, are dyers, maybe it's a city, a little a town, where that's what they do, and everybody has blue hands. So then it's for sure okay, right? It's the opposite. There's someone who has white hands, like, hey, what's wrong with your hands? How come they're not blue, right? So it all depends on, on, the, on, on the context. And, um, and so when, when such things are common, they don't cause any uh, concern and uh, they don't cause any distraction. In that case, it's permitted. Okay, and next Mishnah, how omed any obed lifnea teba? Bisvuin, af bilvanim lo yavor. Someone say, you tell them, come be the shaliach sibur. He says, no, no, I'm, I'm wearing colored clothing and I only, I, I only like to pray with white clothing on. If he says that, then we never let him be chazan, not, if he, not even if he's wearing white. Why? <laughs> we suspect that he must be a, a, a mean, a heretic, because uh, there were, uh, in fact, the, the, the uh, uh, Essenes, uh, the Dead Sea sect, uh, we, we read that they would wear white all the time. They would specifically wear white to be, I don't know, like, uh, like angels. And so there, since there were people around, it sounds like some early Christians also took on that practice, probably got it from the Essenes, and would wear white. So if a person says, oh, I'm wearing colored clothing, I can't be chazan, like, what's wrong with you? There's no rabbis never said that. There's no, no, there's no such halacha. And so therefore, we suspect that they're a heretic, and therefore, they can never be chazan at all. Similarly, someone says, oh, I'm, I'm wearing sandals. So I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be chazan. Uh, so we suspect him of being a, a part of some, some sect or some uh, group that only prays barefoot. And that's not a halacha, right? It's actually, you're supposed to uh, have, have, have some footwear. Uh, so therefore that person, we would not let him be chazan, even when he is barefoot. 
uh, because we suspect that he's part of some uh, clan sect that uh, that dress in white and barefoot when they pray. And so that's it. They uh, they're they're out. agula. Someone who makes his tefillin, the single of uh, 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 of tefillin is tefillah. So tefillah, his tefillah, um, agula, he makes a round tefillin instead of a cube. Sakana ve'en ba'misvah, two wrong things. Number one, it's dangerous. If something's round, you put it right on your forehead, and then let's say, you know, you bump into, a, into the top of a doorway or something. So that round part is kind of sharp and will cause injury to the person's head. And also, you did not fulfill your mitzvah. Because the rabbi said it's got to be it's got to be cube. If someone puts it on his forehead, he reads, you know, says Ben Enecha, Ben Enecha is right here, so he puts it on his forehead instead of above his hairline, or it says Al Yadecha, so he puts it on the palm of his hand instead of on on, on his arm. Uh, so this is a way of heretics. Heretics would read the Torah super literally. And um, and not as the rabbis did. The rabbis I mean, you know, it says ben anecha means you should see it. You should be on your mind, in your eye, not in front, between your eyes means uh, in front of your eyes all the time, meaning have it in mind. And you know, on your on your hand, meaning you do it. You should practice it. Uh, that's the point. But not literally. That has to be on the palm of your hand. And so then, with that person, we consider a heretic. Sipan zahab al. If a person makes his tefillin gold, either he paints it gold or he makes the case out of gold, um, that is a way of outsiders. It's not as bad as heretics. Now, he's not part of some, uh, some group of heretics, but he's outside the rabbinic tradition. And so therefore, uh, similarly, uh, not, 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 not doing it properly, not fulfilling the mitzvah. Um, uh, one of the, part of the reason of why the rabbis say it has to be black and has to be, you know, exactly as it is, is um, it says the Torah should be beficha. Um, it should be in your mouth, which means that you make the tefillin out of edible objects. Every, every part of the tefillin, including the sinews that you sew it with, the leather, even the ink, are all made from kosher animals or products that can be eaten. There's some honey in the ink and so on. Uh, it's not that you're ever going to actually eat the tefillin. should not do that. But the point is we want to symbolically say this is uh, the Torah is in our mouths. We recite it all the time. We think about it all the time. And that's why you can't use metal or other foreign objects like that. So this all has symbolic value. Person doesn't recognize that, so they're doing it wrong. And also, if you put it on on the outside of your sleeve, you put it on top of your clothing, the tefillin shel yad is no good, because in that case, you're basically doing it for show. Uh, look, look, other people, I'm wearing tefillin, but really it's supposed to be on your skin, because it's for yourself. It should be close to you in that way, close to your, close to your heart. That's the whole point of it. And so this is in another way that he's kind of a show off rather than someone who's actually taking the tefillin to heart. Okay, my tama, what is the reason with the white clothes? We, we, uh, we worry, maybe he's, he got some heresy in him and now he wants to be like these, uh, like these Christian priests or like the, uh, the Essenes and start wearing white. So we say he's out. Uh, so should we say that we, we maybe we learned this 
Mishnah uh, in another Braita that says something very similar. It says that the fact that the tefillin doesn't have to be a square uh, cube, that is halacha Sinai. So there, I guess this Mishnah is saying the same thing. And what is that referring to? Um, it means the way that you stitch it up and also the diagonal. Uh, diagonal, you know, the ratio of a side to a diagonal is 1.4, about um, is, uh, is all halacha Sinai. There has to be that ratio. In other words, it has to be exactly a cube. And so, therefore, it can't be round, right? Uh, so they're saying the same thing. No, not necessarily, because it's possible to still have like one without the other. Um, you can make a, tefi, a tefillin um, that the Mishnah is referring to a tefillin that's maybe rounded like a nut in the shape of a ball. And because that would be dangerous because then that, that could uh, knock into your head if you bang into something. But that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be square because, for example, you can make it like a lentil shape or like a pancake shape. So that's round, but still flat on one side. In that case, it would not be dangerous. So it wouldn't be a problem for this Mishnah here in Masechet Megillah, but still wouldn't be kosher. It still would not fulfill the other, this other Braita that says it has to be square. Uh, and so these are actually giving two different aspects of the halacha, uh, not, not, not one and the same. All right, really fascinating discussions. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.